0: What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stickin' Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. This time of year, there are so many coaches searching for some great content to add to their summer and fall programs. And look no further than stickin'ball.tv, Ball.TV, some of the greatest coaches in the country on softball and baseball and updated weekly. and Ball is a no-brainer. Go to stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. This episode is sponsored by What About Baseball. It's no secret that we live in a world with constant electronic distractions. Families are spending less time together, and kids often can't look up from their devices. But the What About Baseball brand is here to help. What About Baseball is a family-owned baseball-centric business whose focus is on providing the best baseball toys. Games and accessories to bring friends and family back together to bond over the great sport of baseball. Starting with their best selling classic edition board game, What About Baseball offers fun and exciting gameplay for fans at all levels, from beginner to expert. Whether you want to teach someone the basics of counting balls and strikes, or whether you are deciding if you should call the suicide squeeze, What About Baseball's classic edition board game is a proven winner and has the reviews to prove it. Even better, it's also made right here in the USA. What About Baseball would like to reward ahead of the curve listeners with 20% off of their best-selling board game and free shipping. Go to whataboutbaseball.com backslash curve to get your special offer. Once again, that's whataboutbaseball.com backslash curve. Today we have on Adam Enright, head baseball coach at Missouri Valley College. Adam just finished his third year as the head coach after taking over the Vikings program prior to the 2019 season. In his first season at the helm, Enright guided the Vikings to the opening round of the Heart of America Athletic Conference postseason tournament for the first time since 2016. Previously, Enright served as an assistant at Trinity Christian College and was promoted to associate head coach prior to the 2018 season. Adam also spent 2013 as an assistant for the NCAA Division I University of Arkansas Little Rock, serving as the hitting coach, and Adam started his coaching career in 2012 at Chicago State. On the show, we discuss lessons he has learned from being a young head coach, we talk about changes he is making from this past season to next, and we spend most of the latter half of our talk on organizing practice and drills. Here is Adam Inright. Adam, welcome to the show.
1: Jonathan, thanks for having me and excited to get going and excited to dive into college baseball and most importantly, Missouri Valley College Baseball.
0: No doubt I'm excited to get to learn from you today and'm I'm, I'm thankful that you know a mutual friend of ours put us in touch and said that you're doing a fantastic job at NBC and Missouri Valley College and so I, I'm always really excited when I don't know somebody just because it's an open book and so I'm really excited again to get to know you a little bit better to get to learn from you. But I would love to really rewind a couple of years ago uh, you mentioned that you were a 29 year old head coach. And I think that you said that that was three years ago. So I would love to hear, you know, what did the vision look like for you whenever you first got started and what was really like that first couple of weeks, that first 100 days or that, you know, first couple months like?
1: Sure. Well, you're right. When I took uh, the head coaching job here in the summer of 2018, uh, the, the first the first thing that I had to jump on was get to know the players that were still here and you know connect with the people who had been around the baseball program prior to me, just to get a pulse for what's going on, what things are good, what things can be better, and where we have to go to be successful as a program. So the, the first thing that I gathered from everyone who'd been around the program in the first 100 days for me was really focused on building the culture of the team as far as right mix of guys, everyone pulling on the same side of the rope, so to speak, um, just playing for a greater cause than just our own individual stats or our own individual um, you know goals that we might have as as either coaches or or players because that seemed to be the mo. Uh, before I had arrived uh, was a really good collection of talent, a really, really strong, uh, you know, collection of guys that play in a really difficult league in in the NAI, which uh, again, for those who don't know anything about NAI baseball, it's extremely competitive. And, you know, this year we had uh, three of the top 25 teams in the country on our side of the conference. So I knew that we had to, to build something that was going to help us work together to accomplish goals. And uh, I knew that, you know, year one out of the gate wasn't going to be a 50 win season and it was going to take some time to to get to that point where we were really competitive in our conference. So um, attacking how we interacted, attacking how we worked together um, and, and just really, healing or shoring up the, the interactions between players to players, coaches to coaches, um, players to coaches was really important in, in the first few months that I was here.
0: No, I really like that a lot. And so just kind of, you know, looking back, if you had to say these were some of the most critical things that we did now, Uh, granted the time of year that, that a lot of coaches are listening to this, they are going probably going through the interview process for getting head coaching jobs and they're going. And, and so that's, that's like step one, you get the job. And then, then step two is like, okay, now what do I do? And so you, you talked about shoring up some of those different things. And if you had to look back and say, Hey, this was, this was like, this was one thing I either did really well and it was awesome or this is one thing that I should have done a little bit better that if I could go back, I would do this a little bit differently.
1: Sure. And, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, there's a lot of things that you feel like you could always do better. Um, but you know, I think, uh, getting a lot of the ideas in that first year, uh, of who we are and what we're going to try to do and, and how we're going to attack moving forward culturally and, Uh, baseball-wise and everything, I think getting them more on paper or putting together some sort of uh, manual or some sort of, you know, physical either a Word document or, you know, uh, uh, like I said, a manual that our players could have right from the get-go would have been really good because in my situation – I was kind of the one person affecting everybody because not only did I inherit a brand new team, uh, I inherited two assistant coaches as well. So uh, I didn't bring anybody in. It was just me with the coaches, uh, assistant coaches that were already there. And uh, it was, it it was a struggle, not a struggle, but a slower process of me just trying to verbally get everybody uh, on the same page with a lot of, meetings a lot of one-on-one time and if I would have gotten some ideas and some pillars of what our program's about uh maybe on paper or or to our players and our staff kind of before we had those meetings that process would have been a little bit faster but that's something that we did uh later on in in year two and in year three where uh, staff members and and athletes had a little bit, you know, we were able to communicate without having those meetings yet of what our pillars are and what our, um, what our philosophies are both character wise, baseball wise, um, so that the learning curve was a little bit shorter when we got into practice and in the meetings when everyone got to campus in August and we started practicing and and having our fall ball in September and August or September and October.
0: No, I love it. And so with, with that, you know, you, you've got this word document. I don't know if I'm, I'm assuming that you definitely have one now and that's uh, if you do, or if you don't, but you, you have this, this outline that you've got. So standards, standards and rules and whatever, you know, whatever coaches want to call them, uh, and how they want to go about teaching them is one thing. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on, okay, this is what an NPC baseball player looks like. This is what they should act like. These are the standards that we hold them to. And so just kind of walk us through not only what those are, but then how do we hold our players, or how do you hold your players accountable to those?
1: Sure. Um, you know, I think it all kind of boils down to being people that those in the community and those on campus root for uh, the last type of team that i don't want to be is a team where you know we may be having some success on the field but people on campus and people in the community don't seem to care because they're not putting that genuine effort in in class and they're not affecting you know the campus community and a positive way or, or not engaging in what's going on uh, academically or on campus because they're they're kind of only focused on their their on-field success. So most of our standard, you know, there's a lot of, I guess you'd call them rules or guidelines, but all of them just kind of move work around the thought that we want people to see us in a positive way and root for us to – to do well when we get to actually performing on the field, right? So there's a lot of a lot of work to be done before we get to the field to where we're the people that we want representing our program. And when we uphold those, you know, and, and I may be, you know, having a cold take here or kind of uh, against the grain as far as how most coaches handle some of these things, but uh, the, the accountability piece – all boils down to baseball Uh, there's there's not a baseball player at missouri valley college that would probably have any idea where or what missouri valley college is if it weren't for myself or one of the coaches reaching out to them and, and recruiting them to play baseball here so you know when we run into a situation for instance where we've got a guy habitually not showing up to class Uh, or eventually not doing something that he's supposed to do that represents our program in a negative way. uh, Our number one repercussion for that is just taking baseball away from them. So uh, those who really want to be around and want to be the people that our program calls them to be, uh, we usually have maybe one or two of those instances and then they figure it out. Uh, So, so for instance, you know, most of our Fridays and Saturdays in the fall are some sort of inner squad or controlled scrimmage or an all out scrimmage. And we'll have some guys early in the fall who think they can cut some corners and miss their eight o'clock classes. And when they get to the field, on, uh, you know, a Friday afternoon for that scrimmage, they will see their names not in the lineup and they'll end up just cleaning underneath our bleachers or, uh, you know, Uh, painting our dugouts or or something like that around the field. And what I tell them is we made an investment in you with, with some sort of scholarship money. And if you don't go to class, I'm not going to see that investment in the spring because you won't be eligible. So I'm going to get that investment back by you making our field look nice or, or do the things that need to be done maintenance wise uh, for those guys who are going to be around in the spring. And again, the guys who really want to be part of what we're doing and, uh get on board with with what our program's about uh that usually happens once and they have the light bulb go off and say okay i'd rather be getting three or four bats right now than pulling weeds under our bleachers or painting our uh our dugouts a a very mild shade of gray uh so next week i'm going to go to class and then next weekend i'm going to be able to play baseball
0: Oh, I love that. <laughs> and so you really, I, I felt for a long time that, you know, discipline is more than just running or, yeah. you know, just punishment stuff, you know? And so I, I, you, we want the, there are reper- repercussions for different you know things that people do, but I really love the out of a, out of box approach of, you know, taking away the main thing that they're on campus for and really putting your money where your mouth is, as far as, you know, we're recruiting you to be a student athlete and student first. And when you don't uphold those standards for being a student, then we're going to take away the other thing that is really important to you on campus. So I really, I really like that a lot. And I I guess that's, that's a huge part of the culture building. Because again, you mentioned that the return on, on investment has to be high whenever you're recruiting student athletes, because again, they have to be eligible in the spring to be able to have success on the field too i mean that's kind of step one but i'd love to hear just your thought process in building the culture you said you had to you said you had to redo a lot of things and i think whenever people they hear culture the you know the first couple things that i think about are like the patriots or the yankees or things that we in our lifetimes especially as as young adults have seen and they it seems like they've always been successful but it's not always always not always like that and it's not always fuzzy and feel good feelings. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on different things that you tried to change and, you know, lessons learned or just any thoughts that you have on trying to redirect attention, redirect behavior, and try and build a winning culture on a daily basis.
1: Sure. Well, I think, you know, that, that redirection of uh, building culture as a, as a group really boils down to what the individual's goals or what the individual's desires are. Um, you know, the, the, the issues that you have is, is always, uh, you know, this individual or these individuals have a list of desires or a list of goals that don't line up with what your team or your program want to accomplish. Right. And then there's, there's conflicting, uh, behaviors in there or, Or conflicting efforts in there that take away from what your team wants to do. So, um, you know, for me, I find it rewarding for the players and rewarding for me when there are kind of choices involved where you say, okay, if you do these things, you get baseball. If you don't do these things, you're not going to get baseball anymore. It's up to you. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, like you said, I'm not going to run you to death. I'm not gonna, um, I'm not much of a scream and yell type of guy. I'm, going to get it out of enough guys to where uh, there's no individual who we can't kind of push to the side or or say, Hey, we're going to give opportunity to somebody else because their desires and their efforts and and what they focus on lines up more directly with what we're trying to do as a program or as a whole. Um, So, you know, I think those who have a little bit of, choice or, or have a little bit more skin in the game as far as um, figuring out how to do the things that we want them to do and uh, lining their lining their goals and lining their aspirations up with ours as a program uh, usually feel more accomplished or they feel like they've um, they've done something, more positive because it was their own doing right it's not me saying this is this is the only way you can do it and uh fall in line or fall out even though it it's kind of that way but giving you know giving them the freedom to feel like they're having the freedom to choose their path to getting what they want out of the program um, and and doing it in a way and putting it together in a way where They don't feel and we feel that their individual goals take away from the team goals and vice versa. Team goals aren't taken away from their ability to, you know, chase individual accolades like, you know, all conference, professional baseball opportunities, All-American, things like that. So, you know, I think that's, uh, that's probably the biggest challenge is making it to where your your athletes have a little bit of a leash to figure things out. Uh, because at the end of that, you know, an end of that process, if they're the guys that line up with what you want done in your program, uh, they feel, they feel really good about who they are and what they're representing and, and the, the choices that they've made.
0: Oh, I love it. Well, let's talk a little bit about just this upcoming fall. And I, I don't know if you've gotten the chance to decompress yet. I know our season ended Two days ago, and so I've I've been mulling some things around, and and usually the summer is our time to do that and really really have a you know a thorough process on what we want to add or subtract or change or do the same. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on just what you're planning on doing or what you did last fall uh, that you felt like was really good. So they get onto campus in, in August or September. And what is really, you know, what, what is your thought process on how to get better? Like, how are you guys going to go about winning the fall? And, and I know that that's a long time period and we'll talk about in season and, and preseason too, which are extended periods of time. But I think we all have some different ideas or pillars that we want to hit or ideas that we want to make sure that we have, you know, have a concrete idea of, of what we're trying to do uh, for this, this, and this. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we can win this upcoming fall
1: sure and and to go back to you know decompressing one thing that i've learned from myself or about myself as a young head coach is that i need some time to get away from results before i make really good decisions um you know there's even though i've been doing this for 10 years there's still some some knee jerk reaction out of me that that happens from time to time and you know especially at the end of the year when you're thinking okay what direction are we going in As far as, you know, your personnel and your team or even just how you're going to go about, you know, attacking fall practice and and being as competitive as you can uh, by the time the spring comes around. I think having some time in between those results of the season uh, and when you start to really build things for the next year is really important. And even when you have a really good year, it's important because you might think, okay, we had a really good year. Uh, and and those wins are are right there in front of your face, or those really good you know those really good results are right there in front of your face. You may miss some some areas and some things that you could shore up and and do much better. Um, so you know for me, we're about sixteen uh, ish days removed from finishing our season, and you know we're actually going to have our exit meetings next week, just so I had enough time to really think about okay, where do we really need to go next year and and who needs to be in what spots, what roles are guys going to be the most, uh, the most comfortable and useful in next year. So, you know, if you would have asked me those questions 15 days ago, those answers would have been much worse or much uh, more knee jerk reaction about not having a great season than they would be now after I've had some time to, to really think about where a program needs to go. Um, so I, I guess, you know, moving into the fall, something that I think we could do much better as a program, uh, and, and I've gone on, on kind of both sides of this now, um, is being a little bit more, a uh, little bit more uh, instructional as far as how we do things in a pro in our program uh but still keeping that competitive aspect of of playing a lot and doing practice drills that put some pressure on guys uh while still learning what's important for our program when i started coaching uh, i was way too instructional i was slowing things down way too much in the fall talking way too much breaking swings down way too much uh, and i think we lost some of our competitive edge and uh, especially the last place I was at Trinity Christian by years four and five, we had so many guys every year that got it or, or who knew what we were trying to do as a program or, uh, you know, for me offensively, cause that's kind of what I was in charge of. They knew what we were we were getting after and we could just compete and make small adjustments for most of those guys. Whereas, you know, at Missouri Valley, even in the last two years, uh, especially in year one, but even in the last two, we've had a lot of turnover and uh, it's taken some instruction or to get guys on the same page. Um, so this year had a lot of older guys, um, a lot of guys who got baseball, but didn't necessarily get Missouri Valley college baseball. Um, and I still wanted to keep the tempo super fast in the fall and let them play a lot. Uh, and And try to just set up environments for them. and I think what i what I missed the boat on was setting those environment up environments up in a way that mirrored what we needed to do because um, you know we'll, we don't just roll the balls out and kind of let things let things play out. Um, there's some some intricacies and in, and in things in our offense that uh, I think make us unique and and give us a little bit of an edge. so uh, I, I think I didn't hit those intricacies quite as as hard or I wasn't as intentional on them as I could have been and maybe stopped play in the fall and really broken some things down that would have gotten some guys to to not miss out on those opportunities when they came around in the spring. But uh, you know, moving into the into the fall next year, that's something that we're definitely gonna do more of is is slow some of those competitive situations down so that we can say, hey, here's what we do in this situation, and this is what gives us a chance to score a run without needing a hit or um, execution of this is going to put us in a in in a, in a place where we're setting ourselves up for a big inning as opposed to just getting one or two. So, uh, you know, that's that's the biggest thing for me is, is keeping that competitive piece high because I used to be way – too slow paced way too instructional in the beginning of my career uh now going back to that happy medium of teaching a lot of what's important and uh and specific to what we do while still pushing the tempo and and getting guys to hit that hit that game pace that mirrors what we look look at or what we face in the spring Cool.
0: I'd love to hear. And again, I I don't know if you've gotten a chance to really decompress and and decide what what you're wanting. But do any do any drills or just different practical things come to mind of I I know you you mentioned that you wanted to or to step back from the X, Y, Z, maybe block practice teaching all the time to a more fast paced. What drills or situations or scenarios or practice plans uh, really help with that because I, I think that that's something that a lot of our coaches are wanting to do to make things more game-like uh, I think is, is something that, that gets mentioned a lot, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on how we can do that.
1: Sure. Um, well, in the fall, you know, I think, I think doing things as game-like environment is, is super important uh, as long as you're built up to that point. So uh, even when you're not built up to that point, Still having something going on, you know, some game-like element thing going on that's, that's just gonna make your guys compete. So, for instance, um, it, it's not necessarily the same every day, but when we take our on-field BP, there's usually something going on uh, outside of the cage as far as like a split BP setup. So, you know, we'll take our regular like batting practice and might be machine, but um, also might be coach pitch or. or whatever you want to do for your, your BP rounds, but then we'll transition directly out of your, you know, round of five or whatever you're doing in your, your team BP. Uh, And then directly on the outside of the cage on the right side, um, you know, we'll set up like a really good slider or something off the machine that's competitive. And, you know, you'll get maybe one swing or maybe two swings of, um, you know, run around third, less than two outs. Where, hey, we've just got to we've just got to be white to white or black to black on the plate, and not you know, not trying to elevate this ball and and you know, mishit hit it in the air where it doesn't score a run. But we're just trying to line drive a ball in the middle of the field somewhere, um, and, and work a little bit of like that contact approach, barrel precision uh, to score a run. Right, that just competitive um piece of when we are in situations we don't need a hit doing it early in the count taking it out of umpire's hands and and getting it done and not necessarily thinking about those internal cues or external cues that you might be really thinking heavily about in your bp rounds where you're trying to fix your swing um and i think it helps our guys kind of transition from okay I'm worrying about me. I'm worrying about my swing a little bit in BP. And then I get these couple of swings where I just have to compete. Like I just have to get a job done for us, right? And it also helps us understand and, and have the idea that what they want can coexist with what we want, right? Like when they're in a situation where there's no job to be done, they've got the auto- uh, the, the freedom, the autonomy to to do what they need to do individually or what their identity says they need to do, whether they're a get on base guy and steal a base or whether they're a guy who is going to do damage and maybe swing and miss a little bit more, but you know, swing to produce extra base hits. But when they get into that, that kind of side piece to the, the, the BP rounds, uh, everyone's doing the same thing, right? Every swing should kind of look the same from an effort and attacking attack angle type of, uh, and type of mindset where, we're all just able to hit a ball hard in the middle of the field uh, and from one edge of the plate to the other edge of the plate you know find the middle of the ball with the middle of the barrel uh, so that's I, I think that's the biggest piece for me is uh, getting guys to understand that in, in most situations you guys have the the freedom to to be yourself right underneath our umbrella and underneath what we what we try to be as a program like you have some lateral movement to be yourself. You've got some freedom to be an individual, but when situations and times call upon you to do things that we need you to do, everybody's gonna look the same, right? And that might be situational hitting, but that might be going to class. Like everybody's doing the same thing as far as not sitting in the back and not wearing hats and um, being engaged in class. as, As they're doing the same thing when they're in an RBI situation with a man on third less than two outs where we're not going to take, we're not taking strikes um, from white to white. We're putting any ball that's barrelable in play in the middle of the field. Um, so they get, they get an idea that, that, you know, we give them the, the freedom to do what they feel they need to do as individuals, but they give us back the the ability to be a part of our program and be a, you know, a, a cog in the a machine, so to speak, uh, by doing the things that are called are called for in a, a given situation.
0: I love that. So, with with that, so this fall, some different changes that you're going to be making. Uh, let's go ahead and and skip to, uh, I guess, to the preseason, and let's just you know hope and pray that that all of your students do what they do, what they need to do over, over winter break. And I've mentioned this the last couple of times with a, with some different college head coaches, that that's the most nerve wracking time of the year, whenever they go home for Christmas break and they come back in January. And so everything goes good there. And then you got, you get everybody back ready to go for preseason. Well, actually let me, let me rewind. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the different plans that you give your players for that break. So, Whenever they leave campus for winter break, whenever that is, to whenever they get back, and then because once once they get back, they're hitting the ground running with less than thirty days before they start opening day. So that transition from off season to preseason, and then what what are you guys doing in preseason as well?
1: Sure. So uh, you know the, the the biggest thing for us, and especially with this COVID year, uh, you know Missouri Valley College, shorten the the fall semester and the spring semester, so that we eliminated long breaks where where people would be going home and coming back to campus. Um, so what that did would make it made a really big gap between the end of the fall semester and the beginning of spring. Um, so you know we had to do some things to to be creative in that that extended period of Christmas break because we had almost nine weeks without being face to face with our guys, and that's as a baseball coach at the college level that's pretty scary. Because you're going to go almost, you know, almost 10 weeks or almost nine weeks without seeing your team. And then when they come back, they're going to be 20 something days away from playing a game that counts. Um, It it, it takes some planning in there. So, you know, I think the first thing that was really good for us is that we invested in blast motion. Uh, We got every guy a, uh, a blast motion sensor and then. We bought a team profile so we could keep up with our guys' uh, work as they went through the off season, and then we also, uh, you know, had some Zoom meetings early on, and then we also to kind of talk about all the things that we're looking for as far as using our Blast Motion to get us prepared for the spring, and, and also had uh, some some of the people from Blast Motion come on and help us with some uh, some, some user tips and and again just how to go about reading and and using the data that you're getting from those those uh technology tools to make your swing better Uh, and then on the pitching side you know just getting uh you know having a driveline plus uh membership for our entire program and having guys set up with with really good throwing programs to get them ready to be on a mound when they come back was really important for us so uh, in there also having a lot of one-on-one Zoom meetings and just checking in with our guys from time to time, uh, giving them the ability to reach out to us and say, hey, coach, what do you think about this? Getting back to them in, in as timely a manner as we can uh, was, was really important and, and just communicating is just what it comes down to. You know, it comes down to just making sure that you know, you're not just kind of going off the grid for your guys because they're not around. And making sure your guys are, you know, not only being held accountable, but letting them know that the work that they're doing in the off season is not only important, but it's valuable uh, to to what's going to happen in the spring. Um, You know, moving into the, you know, kind of the preseason, it it really becomes about the the pace of play and, and speed of the game that, need to get back to because in the Midwest where we get quite a bit of snow um, from the end of November all the way until you really get outside and start playing probably in February you're inside and, and you're limited on what you can do and you're limited on how quickly you can uh, get drills going or the, the pace of play that, that drills have inside uh, and and mentally for a lot of guys it's hard to to ratchet up to that speed that you need them to be at as if you were outside practicing and doing something competitive where, you know, it becomes a lot of, uh, you know, maybe live at bats inside or, or things that are a little bit more sluggish. Um, so, you know, I, I think that the biggest thing for us is doing all that we can to uh, get guys back up to game speed. And I think the best way to do that is, is putting time constraints on everything. So not only moving from thing to thing and and drill to drill, but also, you know, if you're going to do a drill that requires your infield to make plays on the infield, routine ground balls and double plays and all that stuff, you have to put a clock on that just so guys understand, okay, I I need to make this play in four seconds, or I need to turn this double play in five seconds. So uh, it mirrors the pace of play that we have in a game. Uh, You know, for instance, this year we, We didn't do it one day and we had a really high rate of success. And I said, okay, we look really good making plays in six or seven seconds, but that's not preparing us to play in the game. That's probably putting us in a worse spot to make plays in the game because when that pressure gets put on us and those runners going hard 90 down the line, um, it's going to be hard to keep that, that, that type of play together at that pace. Um, So, you know, we would turn up the speed and make them make it in a really fast time and they'd make more errors doing that. And they'd get, you know, kind of uh, at first get a little bit discouraged by that. And then we would come in as a team and say, okay, if we practice at the speed and make more errors at four seconds, then we do it six seconds and make all the plays. We're going to be more prepared in that scenario where we're making more errors at four seconds because we're at least practicing faster than we're playing. Okay. If we make every single play at six seconds, that does not prepare us more so than we were before practice or before that day uh, to make plays in the game and light bulb goes off. I said, okay, you you know, um, even though these are routine plays, it's not always about just super high rate of success with no, no measurable on it or no context on it. So once they once they understand that that the pace at which they practice and, and partake you know take part in drills, uh, is more almost more important than the level of execution in that drill, they start to get prepared for the season in that way.
0: I really like that a lot and I love the the pressure aspect of it, especially preseason, whenever you're trying to get them dialed back into okay this fall most teams we take things slow because we're in teaching mode and it's a little bit more blocked and now you're starting to transition back more to now we got to go game speed stuff and you've been at some different places and you guys it seems like wherever you go you guys score runs and so i'd love to hear your thoughts on how do we develop an offense that scores runs Uh, we you know there's a lot of different ways to do that and it's it's Probably based mostly on what are our strengths as an offense, but I'd love to hear just some different thought processes that you have uh, behind how does how do we score more runs next year?
1: Sure. Well, uh, I heard it best from Tracy Smith when he was still at Indiana. He said, "You want good hitting teams, you have to recruit good hitters." Uh, So that's number one. But uh, you know, scoring runs it starts with honest self evaluation. You know, and that's one thing. Early on in my career, uh, I was I was the idiot for taking, uh, making the assumption that hey, this 150 pound, you know, five nine guy who runs a 6660 already knows that he's just a, a get on base and steal the bases type of guy. Um, so when I started really sitting guys down and, and having them explain to me what type of player they were. I realized that we needed to establish this with every single guy before we even moved into what those different types of guys do. So, uh, you know, to make it really simple or to make it uh, nice to where we, we we fit these guys in a, in some sort of care categories. uh, We based everything that we do offensively from, Around getting to second base, you know, from the standpoint of how are you going to get yourself to second base? Because that's essentially at our level, that's the most important thing you're going to do. Um, if all you can do is get on first base and not get yourself to second base, it's going to be hard for us to score runs because at our level, stringing three, four, five hits together and to score bunches of runs is really difficult. So uh, we we start with the premise of okay, think about how you're going to get yourself to second base. And we'll go from there. So, you know, in our, in our first kind of category of guys, they're going to get on base uh, by getting to first base and just stealing their way to second base every single time. And then uh, our, our other side of the spectrum is our, what we call our, our third category of guys. We're going to hit their way to second base and not steal any bases, okay? our middle category guys, which is our twos, they're going to do a little bit of both. They're going to be able to hit doubles and home runs, but also be able to steal bases. So when I first started this idea, it was just kind of a straight line across. It was, it was category one, category two, category three in a line. Okay. And you fell somewhere on that line. And what I realized from that was we've been these guys as ones, twos, or threes, and they would just get comfortable in that, in that identity. So I had my ones, who were never trying to swing hard. I had my threes, who were never trying to steal bases when they could steal some bases. I said, okay, I got to rethink this. And what I did in the next year was, I made it more of a, a pyramid to where, you know, you come in and, and most guys come in as one or the other. They're they're a one or they're a three, and they're working their way up to a two, because for us the twos are the most impactful guys that we have. Um, again, playing in the Midwest, you've got days where the ball's flying out and the wind's blowing out and it's super offensive and we've got to be able to keep up by hitting doubles and home runs. And some days when it's snowing and it's 30 degrees and the ball's not going anywhere, we've just got to get on base and steal our way around the bases. Um, so when we made those two guys, we said, okay, hey, we've got these Category 2 guys who are the most impactful the most valuable offensive players that we have you are all working your way towards a two then our three started thinking okay you know i might hit 15 to 20 doubles but if i can steal five or ten bases that's valuable and then our one guys are thinking okay if i can get the plus counts and hit five ten fifteen doubles now i'm more valuable um so so we got that that uh comfortability out of just being a, a doubles guy or a base stealing guy and everybody started to steal uh, or everybody started to either steal bases if they didn't and hit doubles if they didn't. Um, So, you know, for, for an offense to score runs, uh, I think the the word that I use a lot is dynamic. You have to be able to do a lot of things. You can't just be comfortable uh, doing one or the other, whether it's small ball or, or sitting, sitting back and waiting for a big extra base hit that scores a bunch of runs. You know, everyone's got to be able to do everything. So, you know, even though in years past, especially at uh, Trinity Christian, when we put up really good slugging numbers and we hit 350 as a team and and slugged over 600, we still stole 97 bases. And we still, you know, I I don't know what the number was because this stat's not available, but I'm almost positive we had the most blunt singles uh, in our conference, which just made things so much harder for uh, opponents to keep us from scoring because we had so many avenues we could go to score runs. So, uh, long story long, you know, I think, I think the the most important things you can do to score more runs on a year, year to year basis is on an individual basis, not only honestly self-evaluate what you can and can't do, but continue to work on those things that you don't do very well, right? Always play to your strengths, right? If you're a guy who drives the ball, like that should still be number one. But if you can steal five or ten bases in situations where you can apply that, you have to steal those bases. And if you're a little guy who gets into two O counts on an offensive day, you have got to change your approach to be able to hit those ten to fifteen doubles that that are there for you to hit. Um, and then you know just uh, collectively being dynamic, uh, and, and that also falls on the recruiting aspect as well. Because you know, if you recruit all, all bangers or all speed demon type guys, it's gonna be hard to be dynamic. So, so making sure that you know you steer away from just recruiting the type of guy that you like. You know, personally, I love the the guys who can hit the ball really far. Uh, and, and there's been years where I get done with our recruiting cycle and I say, gosh, I went way too heavy on guys who drive the baseball and and don't have enough guys who can get on the bases and steal three bases and, and create havoc by playing a little bit more small ball. So staying balanced in your recruiting approach is is really important as well.
0: No, really good. Really good. And I, I know that we, (laughs) being in the Midwest, whenever the wind blows in at 30 miles an hour, it's really hard to, you know, bang, bang it off the wall. And so I perfect, I completely empathize with you on that aspect because as much as we would love it to be blowing out every day, it doesn't. And then it gets cold, and I I can probably count on one hand the amount of perfect baseball days we had all spring, and such a weird year. But mm-hmm. uh, I I can completely empathize with that. But you know, we, whenever we played,
1: go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, you know, we played in in Kansas a lot this year, and I don't know what it is about the state. We're only ninety miles away from the border, but mm-hmm. you know, even when it was cold in Kansas, it seemed like the wind was blowing out by like twenty five, thirty miles an hour, and it was just some of the craziest baseball atmospheres I've ever, I've ever seen. It was almost too offensive to where, you know, you you didn't know when these games were going to end because everything that was hitting the air was just going 400 feet over the fence. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, be careful what you wish for was what I'm saying. I, 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 I'm always thinking, oh man, I hope the wind's, you know, just blowing out. and We can drive some balls out of the yard, but you you go to some places in Kansas, it's, uh, it's more than what you asked for.
0: Sure. No doubt. Well, with that, uh, we're going to we're going to go ahead and skip to the end season stuff. And I, I want to make this this question really simple just because it's, it's such a long period of time. But I'd love to hear just what are some things that you do during the spring that you feel like we can steal from you or that you stole from someone else that you think is really good? And uh, again, there's I'm always trying to look for practical things that that, you know, other people do well. And, and whether or not you like to brag on yourself or not, I know, you know, you do you do a good job. But what are some different things that you you're like? Okay, uh, these are these are really staples that we try and hit during the spring. These are the reasons why, or these are drills. And I'll, I'll let you take it wherever you want. It's really you know it, it's all very dependent on the time of the week and and how your starters are doing and how you got what you guys are facing. But taking all of that out, what just boil it down to a couple of different things that you feel like you know you guys do well and just things that we can steal from you in essence.
1: Sure. And, and, you know, I think, I think the biggest thing that we do that separates us from a lot of other programs is um, just preparing our guys for the week ahead of them. So, for instance, if we play on a, a Saturday, Sunday, that following week, after a weekend, uh, I think from, you know, Wednesday to Friday, <clears throat> we do things that not only get us right on our end, but also looking at you know, reports that we have on our opponents and preparing us for the games that we're going to play moving forward, uh, you know, as far as what type of field are we going to play on, what are the conditions going to be like, what are the things that, you know, opponents in the past, you know, play a specific team, those teams have tendencies, um, or, or those teams have, you know, pitchers coming back who we know we're going to see and are going to have tendencies of their own, you um, really preparing for those uh, in the three days leading up to those games. I think the most important thing that we do Um, and what it does is it varies practice up from week to week so that guys don't get, you know, kind of over that, you know, same kind of practice mode. And so the three days leading up to games in the weekend really get us to prepare for what we're going to see that weekend, whether it's okay Uh, For instance, big yard, ball doesn't fly, all of our hitting stuff is going to be line drive, you know, low and hard oriented because ball mirror is not going to play. Or, you know, we're going to face a right-handed guy who's primarily fastball slider. Like we're going to try to mirror that as much as we can with our machines and the way we set up BP so that we're prepared for what we're going to see as opposed to just going through the motions with normal BP stuff that we would do like in the fall or preseason. Uh but I think the most important day that we have before we get into that specific uh specific practices for that weekend series we're gonna play uh is our first day out. And and we we call it routine play Monday, so it's our RPM. Um, but a lot of times if we play Saturday and Sunday, that'll be on a Tuesday because the day after we play is typically an off day. But that first day out of practice. Uh, it's all focused on high pace of play and high energy uh, while just doing super routine things at practice. So, you know, that practice will start with a little, little team meeting, talk about practice setup, which that practice is usually set up the same way uh, every first day of the week. Uh, you know, talk about the the staples of catch play and and um, making sure that we're preparing to make routine plays outfield infield behind the plate everywhere uh with our with our catch play and then typically we'll go right into you know for our infielders we'll go into our 16 minute ground ball progression which is basically two guys at a spot uh it's two fungo uh from each side of the plate and it's basically how many routine plays in four minute intervals we can make so uh to think of the progression of that off my head. Um, you know, we'll start with five, three, six, four, three for four minutes. Um, typically we'll do two minutes of straight up. And then the last two minutes will be in a shift, which is basically shortstop way over in the six hole second baseman, just to the left side of second base. So we plan that quite a bit. Um, and just making routine plays as, as many as we can. And we count them out. We try to do them as fast as we can because every week, we're trying to get to a higher number than we did the week previous. Um, So we'll start with that. Then we'll go five, four, three, six, three, uh, three, six, three, four, three, and and hit all of the variations of routine plays that we run into on the infield. Uh, and, And again, we'll do that in 16 minutes just so our guys are trying to push the tempo of getting those plays done. Cause the quicker we make, the play in front of us, the quicker the next fungo guy can hit the next ground ball. We can make the next play. Um, and that number is always, you know, in the one twenties, one thirties, but, um, you know, as guys are counting that out and we're making plays and we're encouraging each other to kind of stay locked in and, and keep working hard. You know, we get to that number where, uh, we're, we're close to where we were last week and you see the guys continue to, to work and continue to um, make those routine plays. And we started doing that because, by the time we get to the spring, we're, you know, six, seven months in, and ground balls and, and routine plays are just, you know, they can be overlooked because they're somewhat boring, right, because we've done it so much. Um, again, putting some numbers, putting some time on it um, really gets guys to just hit that next level of, of locking in and focusing on um, on the task at hand. So that kind of gets practice started quickly. Uh, and, and getting guys to, to kind of move with a purpose. Uh, then we'll usually go into something base running wise. My favorite, uh, base running tool is, uh, just live front toss and we'll usually front toss from just in front of home plate. So like in between the mound and the plate, and all we're trying to do is just destroy balls in the gap. Uh, and, and get some live reads, you know, from the plate. If it's an offensive day, you know, if the wind's blowing out, we'll do it from the plate. But if it's just kind of a just an average day, just to make sure that we're burning outfielders or having a chance to hit fly balls over our outfield, um, we'll uh, we'll do it from in between home plate and the mound. Uh, and what we're doing is we'll have a group hitting that won't base run, and then we'll have a group at first base and a group at second base with all of our outfielders. You know, or or at least three outfielders in the outfield. You'd like to have six, but three'll work. Uh, if, if that's all you have and, and what you're trying to do is hit those balls in the air over the outfield so that you're getting reads on, Is that outfielder you to catch that ball. Uh, if so, is it a ball that we should tag up on or is it a ball that we should be halfway off the base on? And that's, I think the biggest challenge for us is because most catchable balls in the outfield, especially that take the outfield, back behind their, uh, they're they're playing depth or if they're just playing you know straight up and and it takes them back towards the fence you know most players are wired to just be halfway off the base and once that center fielder kind of just cruises back and catches that ball they come back to first base well for us if we read that that center fielder has a beat on that ball it's going to be caught but he's going to be moving towards the fence as he catches it we're always tagging on that ball no matter what base we're on. um so you know that again i think that's something that's somewhat unique to us that uh, we're going to anticipate catches on balls that should be caught that are beyond outfield depth. Because if that ball drops anyway, we're going to get one base no matter what. We're going to second base if we're on first, we're going to third base front second. We're not getting two bases if that routine fly ball gets dropped. But if that outfielder catches it in a poor position to make a throw, we need to tag. So that's something that, again, uh, we need to put some attention on. To so that when it happens in the game, we don't just revert to "Hey, let's be halfway off the base on that lazy fly ball, two hundred and ninety-five feet away from the plate." We we need to have a little bit, a little bit more advanced uh, system of of getting a read on that ball, um, and then also, you know, just really good read on ball off the bat, knowing where the outfielders are. If it burns an outfielder, we have to score from first base. Um, so that's something that that. Uh, ends up being really important for us in the spring. So we do it on that first day of the week. And then also base running wise, dirt balls, Uh, just getting on the mound with somebody or what we've actually transitioned to, because I'm getting older and can't throw as many pitches as I used to. Um, You're using a tennis racket and tennis balls off the mound and um, hitting balls to the catcher. So you have to have some precision with it to hit some on the fly. Um, But, you know, just reading down angle off the racket or off a live arm. And uh, we have specific uh, specific things we're looking for at first base, second base, and third base for our dirt ball reads. So, you know, we can have a group at each base, run through our dirt ball reads uh, for about five minutes at each place, and then rotate spots to where uh, we're getting work at, at, at each individual spot. Uh, and then it'll be something BP-related, Um, a little less competitive so it might just be a a single you know a one tunnel type on field bp where we're just getting our swings right to get ready for the preparation we're going to do for an opponent uh you know wednesday through friday if that's the case so i don't know if you want to steal that but you know i think it's if if you can't do the really routine things before you start preparing for opponents it's not going to matter if you, if you can't just do things that are universal to baseball or universal to your program, no matter who you're playing, um, you know scouting reports and, and preparing for pitchers and preparing for fields you're going to play on is, is going to be a moot point.
0: Oh really good and I love the I love the front toss the front toss live base running drill because it seems like it's, it takes a lot less time than normal uh, BP just because it's, it's easy front toss. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm going to steal that. And I'm sure there's a ton of different variations that you can use with that. And so I uh, consider that one stolen for sure. And along with the other ones too, those are, those are really good.
1: And one thing we also do with that front toss, if, if you want to involve everybody, because uh, you know, talked a lot about offense uh, is we'll put our pitcher, you know, if it's a conditioning day or like a sprint day for our pitchers, we'll just have all of our pitchers split up in the outfield positions So they're just playing those balls live and we won't throw them to bases, right? Like we'll just have buckets at each outfield spot, but we'll use the outfielders as the, or sorry, the pitchers as the guys we're getting those reads off of. So they have a little bit of fun, you know, tracking balls down in the gap and tracking balls down over their head. Uh, you know, trying to make some, uh, some web gem type plays in the outfield as we're trying to just nuke balls over their head. Uh, but it also, you know, it, it might serve as their their conditioning or their, their sprint work for that day because they're going to run around the outfield quite a bit in that drill.
0: I love it. That's really good. So I've got a, a couple of, of questions for you uh, as far as self-reflection goes because, you know, going through this conversation, you can tell definitely that you are very self-reflective and trying to consistently improve your craft. But I'd love to hear your, what you have done or learned lately that's gotten you really excited or has, has made you curious about whatever it was.
1: Sure. Um, you know, from, from the self-reflection piece, uh, I'm always looking at the feedback that I get from our guys. Like, what was our energy? Like, what kind of response did I get out of our players with the things that I put in front of them? Um, and like, how did that set them up for success? Right? Like you can look at the games, and, and get some of that, like, Oh, we did this and we had success, like not swinging at sliders in the dirt because we worked on that in practice. But, you know, more so for me is, is how do our guys respond body language wise, um, you know, effort level wise with the drills and the things that you set up for them, the environments you set up for them in practice. And um, more so than any other year that I've had, you know, this group that I had was, was really responsive to point systems, to things that were competitive, that things that basically just said, Hey, uh, I got a chance to be better, uh, like quantitatively better than the guy next to me in this drill by, um, by like out scoring him in points. And the example I'll give you is, you know, uh, in our, in our, cage days or our our small group hitting days we'd usually warm up with like bunting off the machine and um you know typically it would be you know either drag bunts or sack bunts one thing specific to us is that you know we do a lot of bunting towards the third base side so uh you know we do something like that like hey 15 drags and then we'll start with our cage work well the effort there because there was nothing to it was was super low and Guys weren't super jazzed up about it. So it's like, okay, we gotta, we gotta pump this up a notch so so the guys like really, really get into it. I literally took a platform, like a BP platform, put it on the side, sectioned it into three sections, and put point values for each section, and said, Hey, the closer to the line you get this bunt, the higher point value it is. And once you get to 10 points, you're done. So you can be done in you know four or five months, or it could take you. 20 minutes to get this done and that's less hitting that you get to do so then guys were are letting you know getting competitive and the guys who weren't doing well the other guys were letting them hear it and it got got to the point where i get, just got more effort out of them um so when, when i think about reflection of what i'm doing for our guys um it's it's always hey, what am i how am i setting these guys up to enjoy what they're doing but also get something out of what they're doing. Um, you know, the other thing that, that I have really, really started to maybe do too much is uh, ask for feedback from my assistants. And my assistants are all super young, super driven, super hungry. Uh, you know, I, I see a lot of myself in them. Uh, but I'm always asking, hey, what can we do better? Like, always asking for their opinion, always asking for what their thoughts are on what we're doing. Uh, and you know, that not only helps me get a different perspective of what we're doing, because sometimes I'm just way off like, hey, that practice wasn't very good. And they don't come out and say that, but they say, hey, we could have done this drill like this, uh, or, or, you know, had the pitchers more involved and it could have been more like a game. I say, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, we're going to do it like that next week and get that just different perspective on everything that I do. Um, but I think the most exciting thing that I've learned a lot about this year is catching. I'm not a catching guy, nor have I ever claimed to have a whole lot of knowledge about catching at, at like a really high level. Uh, but we, we brought in a, a catching guy this year. Uh, he's, a, he's a grad assistant. He's getting his master's here. His name's Tyler Merrick, TJ Merrick. And uh, you know, he, he came in with a lot of good stuff and I learned a lot about uh, you know, uh, set up with, with knee down, which I really didn't know anything about, uh, changed our whole program philosophy about receiving and how we uh, move our glove pre-pitch and how we set up to uh, how we set up to steal strikes and how we set up to to move that presentation closer to the strike zone as we catch it. Um, where I was always just uh, you know run into the ball and absorb it and, and try to present it wherever it's pitched, but uh, w- we had a you know we had a catcher who had caught for us for two years previous to this year, really good thrower, really good blocker, but his receiving just wasn't great. And, you know, he came in and and brought in a brand new set of, you know, pre-practice drills and kind of um, uh, progression stuff that helps us find the pocket and move the ball in the strike zone. And he was the best he's ever been. This catcher was the best that he had ever been in the three years that he was here. Uh, and it was all because you know we we brought in a wealth of knowledge from a guy who you know caught it two division one institutions and and does a really good job with communicating with our catchers and and keeping them engaged as far as um, giving them really high level stuff so i think I think that was the most the most interesting thing to me was uh really filling in a part of the game where I didn't have a whole lot of expertise or a whole lot of uh a lot of experience working with catchers one on one just seeing what our guys did and seeing how it transitioned into the game uh, and how it helped us uh, do some things behind the plate that, that, that helped us win and helped us win pitches and get strikes and control the running game and all that kind of stuff.
0: Really interesting. Second question I've got for you today is what is something that you've changed your mind about? And, And that was really a great example of, of a, of an area that, you may not. You may have pivoted uh, to, uh, But what what else is something that, after some self reflection, maybe you did this this a certain way when you played or earlier on in your career, and something that you've changed your mind about?
1: Oh yeah. So uh, the the biggest thing that I changed my mind about was pre game BP for our hitters. Um, you know, one thing that I am is a planner, and I don't like. I don't like to just roll things out and let them happen, right? And just say, hey, hey, go do what you do. And I think what I found out was I put together a really specific BP plan for the game that we were playing that day and and the pitcher that we were going to see. And, you know, there was a lot of, again, intricacies to each round as far as what we're trying to do with those pitches and and how we're going to prepare for the game. And it's all, it was all stuff that we had done, you know, that Wednesday to Friday period where we were doing all our, our kind of preparation work for that weekend. So, you know, we were struggling a little bit in uh, the beginning of April offensively, like really just not putting good bats together. And and the the main thing was not squaring up good pitches to hit. So, uh, you know, we went into, we were playing park university uh, I can't remember the date. It was one of the last weekends of conference. We were still, you know, we we're still battling for a, a conference tournament spot and we had gotten swept the day previous and we didn't score. Uh, sorry. We scored like two runs that whole day. I said, Hey, we're going to use BP today as time for you. So we're going to go four rounds of six or four rounds of five or whatever we were. We usually do with, with the 40 minutes that were allotted. And we're going to go middle middle and you're going to manipulate those middle middles to do whatever you need to. So we're going to just your middle middle BP ball. Hey, if, if you're having trouble like staying through balls outer half, like you just work that ball to the opposite side of second base in the air or opposite side of second base on a line. Like if you're top spinning balls through the pole side, you know, in six hole, four hole, like you're going to just, you're going to get on top of the plate and you're going to turn those balls middle in and just try to, hit those balls in the air on a line with some carry. So on game day, what we went to was, hey, those 20 or 24 pitches you get to swing at in BP, like you know who you are individually. Use those, just use those BP pitches to get your swing feeling right. right? Like get your proper reception squared away to where we're squaring balls up the way we want them to come off the bat and and feel good about what we're going to do in the game today. Um, I, I think what I, what I was doing, um, even though it was well intended, uh, was, was not giving them enough feel. And it was more of them thinking through BP and thinking, okay, here's a situational, uh, three or four swings. Like here's a, um, you know, a fastball curveball mix around where I've got to manipulate my timing, right? Here's a changeup round where I'm manipulating my timing. Again, it, it was in an effort to get ready for today's game but I think we're missing the boat in that we could have let our guys just feel better about their swing and squaring balls up and that's going to, that's going to pay off. And we ended up winning two really, really close games where we had a bunch of really good at bats late uh, with runners in scoring position. So we went to that for the rest of the year and and offensively we did a pretty nice job. Now the rest of the year defensively and and otherwise uh, wasn't as good as we liked it to be, but, but I think, that really changed things offensively for us because guys in that, that game day were able to turn their brain off a little bit from those those three days of practice we had previous and just trust the work that they did and, and get through that BP in that game by, by a little bit more feel than, than overthinking it.
0: Great answer. Next question is uh, from a, maybe your player's perspective or, or from your perspective since you you get feedback from your players a lot, but what is their favorite drill or a drill that you know that if you put into the practice plan tomorrow that they're going to love?
1: Okay. So, uh, the drill that they absolutely love is our, uh, we split up our team. And again, I'm, I'm leaving the pitchers out of this. So I, I apologize. You know, we, we don't have a whole lot of fun drills for pitchers, uh, other than, you know, PFP days fun, but, uh, the, the drill our guys absolutely loved last year, uh, that we're going to keep around and do it more often. Uh, is an, a simulated slider front toss drill. So what we, we would do is we would let them literally pick teams, and then uh, we would set up simulated sliders. So basically uh, we'd be at home plate on the field and set the L screen up to the pull side of second base for those hitters. So if it's a right-handed hitter, the L screen is completely on the third base side of the the line from home plate to second base and we would front toss balls on that, on that slider angle, and they would have to hit them on the opposite side of second base. What the opposite team would be able to do is they got uh, – they were allowed six def- – no, yeah, seven defenders. So first baseman uh, – sorry, six defenders, three infielders and three outfielders of their choosing, however they want to do that. But all six defenders were on the right side or on the opposite side of second base for that right-handed hitter. Okay. Obviously left side, if it was a left-handed hitter. So they'd space themselves out in the outfield, three infielders on the right side of second base and the point system that we put it up on the scoreboard would be um, ball that gets through the infielder ball that lands in the outfield is one point ball that gets to or hits the fence is two points. And then ball that goes over the fence is four points. So, um, you know, what it helped us do is, you know, back up contact on sliders, um, avoid rollovers on balls that are breaking away from us, but just hitting hitting offset, or sorry, that simulated slider front toss, super hard to the opposite side of second base and not trying to pull it. Um, If they pulled it, if they would pull it, you know, to the pull side of second base, it was negative one. So they would lose points if they hit a ball uh, to their pull side. So, I think we would do like a round of five, and we would we would play like three innings of that, uh, and it would take probably forty five minutes or so. but um you know it, again, it got guys to lock in on backing contact up and working their timing appropriately to what they're trying to hit and then just seeing that they can they can juice balls to the the opposite side of second base um, and what the simulated slider angle you know kept them from doing was kind of cheating to. Uh, to stride or kind of turn their body towards right field and make that the middle of the field because they had to stay. um, They had to stay kind of committed to where the the, the pitch is coming from because, you know, it was coming from behind them. Uh, So that was one that guys got really, really competitive and uh, jazzed up about because they were getting rewarded for hitting home runs and, you know, it got really competitive as far as, uh, you know, if a guy would roll over two in a row, the other team was just letting it eat on that guy. And then, you know, the pressure builds up and now you got to get your mind right back into the bat or get back into the round and, and finish it strong with some points for your team. And uh, it was just something that, you know, really got our guys to lock in on, on the task at hand, which was kind of simple as far as just hitting breaking balls the other way hard and not rolling over on them. But, adding that pressure and and team aspect to that drill
0: no doubt i really like that and uh, that's another one that that i'm going to have to steal from you so the last one uh, of the day is the resource question and so are there any books or just resources in general that you would recommend to our audience
1: sure uh you know i think the biggest thing for me this year has been an app called headspace uh let me make sure that's what it's called pretty sure that's what it's called click on it all the time but I just know yep sorry headway not headspace it's called headway and uh, I think it was like 50 bucks for the year but basically what it is it has a bunch of like mini books that take about 20-30 oh, minutes to read and uh, it, it kind of asks you a lot of questions about what you want to learn about or what you want to uh, use that that app for and they, they have just thousands of uh those those books to like put in front of you so some of them that i've read recently are like the power of persuasion um you know the the ability to uh lead through conviction uh, And just just books that help you pull like some really interesting thoughts about whether it's leadership or whether it's organization or whether it's time management you know it's it 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 was something that helps me kind of connect the dots as a, as a head coach um, and something that's, that's given me a whole lot of little nuggets that, that I say, I can, I'm going to take a note of that and be intentional about what i just learned and applying that to my, my day to day, whether it's in the office or practice or interaction with our guys. um, It's just been really cool. And it it also, you know, doesn't take me, uh, you know, A couple of days or a couple of weeks to finish a a book you know it's something i can do at night before i go to bed and and get through the whole thing and uh you know use those things to my advantage once i get back into the into the swing of things the next day
0: i love that well adam i I appreciate your insight today and and again several different topics and things that that you've made me think about and how to add and how to just steal some things from you, but I do want to give you a little bit of time to talk to our listeners before you go. And let me be the first to say, thank you for coming on and and sharing so much and and opening your playbook and just giving us a ton of different stuff today. But is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go?
1: Well, I appreciate it, Johnson. I've uh, I've had a really good time sharing today. Um, You know, for the coaches out there, I would really, uh, really encourage you to be a member of the ABCA and, Find a way to get to the convention. I think it's in Chicago this year. Um, you know, I think some of the the biggest growth that I've had is not only going to those things and and listening to the speakers and and getting to know, you know, what information is out there from some of the best minds in in baseball across the country and in the world, uh, but also just the the connections that I've been able to make at those type of things uh, of people that I didn't know before before going there. Um, I think, you know, if you're new to coaching or you're a young coach you have not met a lot of people, I think you'll find that pretty much all the coaches are, are cut from the same mold and they've got the same things in mind, which, uh, from the baseball world is to, to help grow the game and to help, uh, other coaches kind of find their way. And, and it's a very inclusive group and it's a very small world as far as degrees of separation. So I think it's important to, to do everything you can to cultivate those connections and, and really build your network, which ABCA convention, uh, there's no better way to do that than, than go into that, that thing in, in January. Um, yeah, that's really all that I have. I think, uh, you know, if you want to uh, see what's going on in our program, uh, our, uh, our Twitter handle is at uh, Baseball Valley. And then if you want to see what's going on with me, I try to share some things as well uh, throughout the season. Uh, my, my handle is uh, AdamEnright17. At, at so if you want to shoot me a message or uh, see what's going on, you can, you can kind of see what's going on with me and our program through those two.
0: Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.